Hi, this is Jeremy Howard, and you're listening to Coffee Time Data Science, a podcast for data science enthusiasts where I interview practitioners, researchers, and cagglers about their journey, experience, and talk all things data science. And before we begin, I apologize for the change to our schedule. Of course, usually you would be seeing Chai Time Data Science on this channel with Sanyam Bhutani. Unfortunately, he's not available today. He had a prior appointment on another podcast, and he was not able to join Chai Time Data Science. So we hope you enjoy this special episode of Coffee Time and Data Science. And without further ado, I would like to invite our very special VIP guest, uh, newly anointed uh, Kaggle Grandmaster Sanyam Bhutani. Sanyam, welcome to Coffee Time Data Science. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Usually I'm very uh, anti-coffee, but <laughs> I'll have to allow that. Uh, I, I still can't believe you weren't kidding. And I, I mentioned in our message also, like I, I I think I don't deserve this, but thank you. Thank you for doing this. Of course, I couldn't say no. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thank you for agreeing to be, you know, the uh, uh, inaugural guest on our show. And uh, I'm uh, apologies for the inappropriate choice of beverage, but, this is, you know, in Australia, one... coffee is kind of our national drink, so. Actually, at, at Vogue, we were having this funny thread where people were pulling my leg when you shared the espresso uh, tweet and everyone was like hey see jeremy's drinking coffee you should switch over now <laughs> i will say though i just purchased uh, three different styles of uh, oolong tea from china uh, so i also like my coffee it's very hard to find good tea here though honestly so i actually had to get it all specially imported <laughs> so you- i would certainly love to hear about your tips on um on indian tea because i'm much more familiar with the chinese variety my mom makes it for me. So every time I have a podcast, she, she makes it for me. Even today, she woke up before me. She made two chais, one like one for prep, one for now. So Ah, great. So that's a great <laughs> tip for our listeners. If you want a nice cup of chai, head over to Sanyam Bhutani's mom's house and uh, grab yourself a, a nice cup of tea there. Um, terrific. Well, let's talk about... Um, uh, data science. And uh, as we said, I guess the um, stimulus for for um, doing this interview is your recent Kaggle Grandmaster uh, uh, anointment. Um, so why don't we start there? What are you a Grandmaster of? And how did you how did you achieve that <clears throat> lofty status? So as you can see, I I am talking a lot and I've become a Grandmaster in the discussion sphere. So I'm only right now good at talking. Kaglis believe uh, from left to right is the hardest to easiest category. Uh, Jeremy was the first, I, I think, Kaggle Grandmaster or the first ranked in competition. So I'm trying to move towards the left end slowly and slowly. I would say data sets contributor, maybe not so hard. Like there are probably ways you could game that, I reckon. For example, I bet if I put all the data sets from the course on Kaggle, I would become a data sets Grandmaster. <laughs> Uh, I'm one gold away from being a Colonel's Grandmaster, um, which I should definitely uh, get back to doing Colonel's because they're so fun. Like I, I um, so when I uh, ran the Master's Machine Learning course at USF, I actually uh, the the marking for the course was based on how many points you got on Kaggle competitions. Uh, Kaggle discussions and Kaggle kernels. And I always kind of said to That's them, awesome. if, you can, 
Yeah, if you can write in a way that people find compelling, explain data science in a way that people find useful, or build models that are highly predictive, then you've got a good, uh, good um, opportunities ahead of you. So, I, I think sometimes kernels are a bit flaky. So I've been spoiled with uh, this box, and like I'm so used to things running instantly. Uh, sometimes I get a bit annoyed, but. Uh... People sharing stuff on there is awesome, and I always learn so much. Every time I go on the kernel stuff, the Kaggle community makes it super awesome. And what's the flaky bit? I'm just used to run, uh, running cells super fast. Like Kaggle kernel takes oh, longer to start. Environment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I treat it as a platform for communicating to people rather than, yeah, rather than a compute environment, for sure. So, um, so what are you up to when you're not... Um, being useful on Kaggle discussions. So where are you working now? I work at Weights and Biases and we have an awesome fast culture internally as well. Uh, it's it's like working with friends, uh, working on side projects with friends. So I lead our community efforts, which basically means I just do what I love. I host live stream for the broader community, our CEO, Lucas Beaverd, whom you know, and our head of growth, Lavanya, whose team I work on. Both of them are super supportive of community stuff so they just let me do whatever i want uh every time i go with like a stupid idea to lavanya uh, taking a stupid idea to her she's like this sounds good to me if it sounds good to you just go ahead with this so i get to do what i love and for some reason they pay me for it yeah well lucas is a super awesome being a human being and uh also a very smart guy so uh, i know a lot of the fast ai community have made their way over to weights and biases and hopefully are doing positive things in that company, which is already going very well. Um, and I know it's uh, actually, in terms of all of the logging frameworks and deep learning, it's it's the best integrated with the fast AI library and um, I, the most loved by some degree, which I guess is why it's the, the best integrated. So um, actually genuinely a, a good product. Um, now, I first came across you when I think when you posted a message in the fast AI forums a few years ago, introducing yourself and saying you were interested in learning about deep learning. Now remind me when, when would that have been? What year? I'm so sorry. Just to add one small point to your previous question. Uh, when I was interviewing for Weights and Biases, I showed this to Lucas and I was going ahead and explaining why I spent so much time on our forums. And he just, he stopped me there. He was like super appreciative of this. So he instantly recognized that I'm from FastAI. And uh, right. now I get to work on the best uh, experiment tracking tools uh, team. But sorry, to answer your question, I got the opportunity to join the international fellowship in 2017. I was really struggling with university. I mean, I was doing okay with my grades. So but what were you studying at university? I This is one of my like most controversial uh, messages I put out. I was studying computer science, but I wasn't becoming a better programmer, which is how right. I envisioned it to be. At what university was that? That was SRM University. So it's uh, one of the good known universities in India. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went there expecting to just become better at programming and I just didn't like the syllabus. I was trying every single thing. I was signing up for every student club and I just couldn't enjoy it. And then I shifted to online courses, was trying to find something interesting there. And somehow magically I landed on FastAI, although initially I was terrified of it. But for some reason, so I, I decided like, to continue. So let me just dig in a little bit more because I'm very interested because I think a lot of people watching 
will be people who, like a lot of data scientists or people doing data science don't have a computer science background. And I think a lot of them, you know, I certainly used to be like this, looks over at the computer science world and thinks like, oh, I, I probably should have done a computer science degree. Maybe I should go back to university. You know, I'm never going to understand anything. I'm not a real computer scientist. So you're saying that's not necessary. And in fact, you're saying you didn't learn much useful programming. So like, tell us more. What, what were you doing in the computer science course? What were you learning? And in what way was it not satisfying? One of the things I learned afterwards uh, was it's any computer science degree is more of double ECS, so electrical engineering and computer science. So half of it is just learning about diodes, stuff like that. And that was absolutely terrifying to me. I had no interest in it at all. I, I just like barely passed in that subject. I remember going to the professor and just like asking them, hey, please don't fail me in this. I don't want to take this class again. <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> is he like, okay, I'll pass you? Worked for a few subjects for me. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I looked at the programming courses. First year uh, syllabus in India is usually just the basics of everything. So they teach you chemistry. They even teach you biology and computer science. And I just didn't like it. I decided right. to go to the library. I would pick out the senior year books. I would hang out in the section with all the sophomores who were hanging out. Mm. And they were doing teenage stuff there. I was the only one with a book in the library in a corner. And even that, that was very outdated syllabus. So it was just very mundane stuff. And I couldn't see the like stuff connecting to real world. So I would talk to people on the internet. They were building amazing stuff. And I just didn't like see the connect happening at all. Yeah, I mean, I remember, so I, I ended up majoring in philosophy at university, but I did try many things along the way to try and find something that seemed more interesting. And I, <clears throat> I did do a computer science subject uh, what's it called like uh oh, i can't remember what's called it's like a programming and statistics class and that programming was in pascal um and i didn't understand any of it which i found kind of surprising because i knew how to code you know and i actually and i remember going i, I found that textbook 10 years later and i went back and i reread it and i was like i even though I know, like I've written production software in Pascal at that point in Delphi, I still didn't understand the book. And I realized like, okay, the problem is not me. The problem is the book. Like a lot of academics just aren't good teachers, you know. Um, they make things just so hard to understand. That realization came so late to me. Like I... I two years into the degree but still like that was super late for me I was just expecting my teachers to be super good at everything and I would like go to them with questions sometimes I just wouldn't get answers and that would really annoy me like how do they not know this like they're supposed to know this stuff yeah. I remember in like one of my machine learning courses uh, there was a course of, uh, there was a question in an exam about what's the latest here and I had read a paper I drew that architecture I was super proud about that and I got a zero because they said, this is not in the syllabus. You're not supposed to write this. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, it's not just university, honestly. My daughter is six. And so she's doing primary school. And it's the same issues, you know. They're like, you're only allowed to be covering this part. Like, so we're talking about fractions, but you're only allowed to talk about halves. And if you mention quarters, you know, you're going to get told to stay... <laughs> stay in your lane it's 
it's bonkers. Yeah. Um, so, so you were looking for for other material, for other things that might help you learn like more pragmatic how to code, how to become a good programmer. And so that it was during that search that you came across FastAI. I first found machine learning and then I tried like, I used to proudly say to my peers because it was like a status symbol to me, just the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? I was like at the initial bit and I would just tell them proudly, hey, I did like 40 online courses and then I would go ahead and sign for five more. So this is like like Coursera or Udemy or stuff like that? Every single thing, you name it, I probably would have like at least watched five minutes of it and then like Mm. did nothing. Mm. And I, I wrote an article, how not to do fast AI, where I would say, I would discover something, find a course, study the course and not be able to build something. And uh, during the search, somewhere in between, I found fast AI and I signed up for fast AI, luckily. Mm. So, yeah. So what was that experience like? Did that, like, was that different to other courses you had taken? I could feel like this was the first time I felt that I could build stuff that like actually works. So it's not just like those three layered neural networks. I'm like, and I remember in the first uh, two lectures, you showed us how to get started on a Kaggle competition. You put out a simple baseline and we were beating you. So I remember like me and my roommate were taking the course together and we both were jumping for like 10 minutes. Hey, we're we're ahead of Jeremy. Like, how is this happening on the leaderboard? So here is the aforementioned how not to do fast.ai, which I I do remember. It's very, very helpful. And I've shared this with other people. And I think um, Radek has also uh, shared some of these ideas. Um, it, it, it's interesting to me. Um, um, yeah, it's interesting, like, how few even machine learning courses are top down. So, you know, I, I always feel like if you're not, creating useful models reasonably quickly, then that's pretty discouraging. And also like, how are you gonna know what's the point of the stuff you're learning about if you're not actually training useful models? It seems like it's pretty hard to integrate the knowledge that you're being taught. Um, All of the courses would, sorry. Go on. Uh, All of the courses would like, now, now most of them are better, but at that time they would start with showing this super cool style uh, style transfer example. And then they would like go back to just teaching the mundane stuff. Right. Here's how you like do stuff in NumPy. And right. I, I was like so done with it at that time. And right. Fast AI was like super awesome because there was also this insane community. And usually when you take a course, you're in a similar cohort, which is one thing I didn't like about university. Like no one around me was talking about machine learning. They, they thought I'm like super weird. I thought they're super weird. But on right. FASA, like we had... What were they insane... wanting to do? Like if they're not interested in ML, what what, are, what were their hopes and plans and interests? Just do teenage stuff. I see. I mention. Okay. So it wasn't just ML, but it's more just actually studying and learning effectively in general. Uh, yeah. And most of them were like just building websites. I didn't enjoy that bit at all. I would just okay. like download templates and hack stuff together every time yeah. I wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah, building websites is not particularly intellectually interesting of itself necessarily, for sure. Um, so yeah, tell me about okay. So so you got started and you said twenty seventeen, right? So how did that go from there? Was that 
then all smooth sailing or did you hit any obstacles along the way? Like anything that in hindsight you wish you had done differently? So uh, you you'd already pointed to my article and I also was asking this question when I had the opportunity to interview Rachel because I'm so new to top-down learning still like in my entire student life which is 15 years I've been studying in the bottom of way and I was so new to mm. top-down I would like always default to that so my right my issue was like not listening to you enough like the success I have was because I listened to you 10% of the time and other time I would just like okay, this is not working. I need to like go and read the basics or uh, again, default to bottom-up learning. So th- yes, that you was sound like, exactly like Rodek Kosmowski. He says the same thing. Yeah. We we both also talk a lot about this. Uh, he, he even, we like spoke about this for half an hour when I had the chance to interview him. Uh, and even in his book, I think this is really a struggle because we always start with like aspiring to be someone and then we don't want to like uh, put in a lot of effort initially and you don't see the dot connecting immediately, although like it takes an insanely long amount of time. So can I ask, and feel free not to answer if this is too private, but how, how old were you in 2017 when you joined the Fast AI community? Uh, so five years ago, I was 19. <laughs> 19, okay. Because like I ask because I, um, you you definitely stood out to me even then, you know, like, and I couldn't exactly tell you why or how, but you certainly came across as, you know, unusually motivated. Now, I will say that's not that unusual. There's plenty of people who join the course sounding pretty motivated. But then I would say, like, the big difference with you, the really big difference with you, is your tenacity. Like, you you didn't go away. Like, you know, <laughs> like if the multiple 100,000 people who start the course, you know, seeing it through over a multiple year period and doing the things, like I remember you would even post on the forums and say like, you know, in order to have something to force myself to live up to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do over the next few months. Like, um, there it is. Um, What... Do you have a sense of like what's how did you get to this point? Why are you more tenacious than the average bear? And and you know, what's kind of helped you to stick with it and to follow through on your goals? You you're being too nice to me. So like I, I would go away from fast A because I was like Maybe only Jeremy can do this stuff. I'm not like as good as you of a programmer. I'm not as good as you at reading papers. So I would like go away to other courses time to time. And again, like realize, no, I, I want to come back to the community. And uh, just a mad passion of really believing that if I stick to this would be really helpful. Uh, one thing I've learned is like, we always start aspiring to be some person, as I was saying, and we like we're like always looking at that end goal, but instead I've over time learned to really enjoy the process more. So like when I was trying to lose weight, I was like, uh, that was my fifth attempt <laughs> at losing weight. This time, what made it stick was I I would just show up every day and walk for like two hours straight. Like no no excuses, just walk for two hours for at least four months, and then I started losing weight. So broadly speaking, I just learned to appreciate the process of showing up every day and just uh, doing yeah okay 
That's great advice, you know, um, is to focus on the process. I had a similar experience, gosh, how long ago, seven or eight years ago, when I decided to try to improve my fitness. And I started going to CrossFit, like CrossFit was literally a block away. Um, And I had really never done any kind of intense training in my life. And CrossFit, you dive very quickly into intense (laughs) training. And, you know, each day I just felt awful. You know, I can't begin to tell you how much I hated it and how bad I felt. And the other thing that made it difficult was like everybody else at CrossFit is just so like gung-ho about it. So I, I think I must have felt a bit like you was like, oh, Jeremy's better at coding than me and I can't do it. It's like, okay, these people are all CrossFit people. But yeah, you know, uh, it helped to have Rachel actually because we both decided to go every day. So we're like, okay, we're going to go every day. I think it was like 5.30 a.m., turn up, hate it, go home, turn up, hate it, go home. And after about th- similar time, I reckon, about three months, I was like, I still hated it, but I didn't feel horribly sick every time. You know, I was just like uncomfortable and a little painful, you know. Yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because like to get stuff out of these any of these things you have to turn up to the process for months and those those months are often not much fun crossfit is also super hard you like uh, in one day you get super exhausted and next day you have to show up again half exhausted you like thinking results aren't coming in what do i do yeah and i mean so like when we're learning stuff i think in university, it often seems to be the prof- professors are proud of this, you know, like weed out classes. They're like, oh, 80% of my class flunked out. It's like, well, you're, you're a shit teacher, aren't you? You know, like you want to be giving people positive, real positive feedback all the time of like, oh, wow, you, you just trained a model. Oh, wow, you just fine tuned a model. Oh, wow, you just created a web application. Like it's that's how computer games work. You know, with computer games, you don't like start up Gran Turismo 7 and it's like dumps you straight into an F1 car on Nürburgring and asks you to, you know, qualify for, you know, um, F1. It's like, okay, we'll start with license test and I'll afford focus. Can you drive in a straight line for 50 yards or something? And at the end, it's like, congratulations, gold medal. You've done it. Okay. Now we're going to like show you how to do it. And you have to press the brake pedal yourself. It's like, congratulations, you did it. I think so, but, yeah. But one of the like uh, things I learned through gaming, I used to game a lot. I would like sit down and game straight for 16 hours. My parents weren't happy about it, but like 16. I would just fight and okay. I would fight and make that happen. In in games, we call it grinding, where you like have to do this so stupid stuff over and over again that just yeah. doesn't make sense. But you enjoy it so much and like uh, just... I think many Kagglers see this, that like bringing that over to Kaggle, because initially you just suck on the leaderboard. I still suck on the leaderboard. I'm a like bad competitor, but you enjoy the process so much because it's it's the grind that you start enjoying towards the... Now you say that, but I don't think that's true because you've had some very good results in competitions, haven't you? I had the chance to team up with awesome people. So I was, okay. I was learning oh. from them and oh, contributing ideas. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Now, the other thing I noticed with you is, in terms of follow through, is, you know, we often encourage people to kind of put themselves out there, build their personal portfolio, 
blog, whatever. Um, everybody says they're going to. Not many people do. And it's, uh, it's hard. I know like you've talked about how, for example, this podcast, when you started, no one's listening. <laughs> you know, it's just you talking <laughs> out to the empty internet. Like, give me a sense of like, what did that feel like to like, you know, write blog posts when you didn't have a readership, create podcasts when you didn't have listeners? Like, what did that feel like? And how did you push through? And then how did, how did you get people to start noticing you? I, I'll start with the tangent. I think uh, great people improve and like they reach heights. Greater people keep, uh, they uplift others and greatest people keep uh, reaching higher heights in life and keep uplifting others. So people like you and the Kaggle community and Fast Air community are the greatest because you keep uplifting others also. My, my blog got a lot of traction in the podcast because you and the community were sharing it so much. But it was, it was like super bad for me. Uh, as as you might know, I'm I'm like extremely sincere towards anything I try, and like I give it my best. Otherwise, I like just wouldn't sign up for anything. That's that's how it is now. Initially, it wasn't the case. I and see. Well, hang on. Me, tell us felt... more about that. Tell us more about that. What do you mean? So so I mean that's just such an interesting point. So you're saying nowadays when you try, you really try, but that wasn't always the case. T- tell me more. No. <laughs> I would just like bail halfway through, like three days into it, uh, one month into anything, I would just bail. Uh, when I was trying to lose weight in university, I would like work out. I worked out for one month, super intensely. So I decided I would climb. We had super tall buildings, so like 15, 16 floors. And I used to live on the ninth floor of the hostel. Out of this, like nowhere, I decided I'll climb 60 floors every day, at least 50 to 60 floors. I did that for one month damaged my knees a bit and then i just like gave up i didn't like start slow and build up right so i so what I, happened I, you just like you, you became more mature or was there some kind of like conscious decision or i, I think maturity yes I, i'm still not very mature but now, now i like start slowly and like remain uh remain at anything i do okay uh, so so sorry so go on so you're very you're, so at the point you started the podcast you were sincere about putting your effort in and yeah go on uh yeah uh so when when like I got to interview you or other Kaggle Grandmasters, to me it felt like I'm I'm being insulted towards uh, people like you because it's not getting to a large enough audience, and I felt like that's my job to like if I'm asking for someone's time, I need to like put it out there, and that part was super super annoying to me. Like, how can I? This is something I'm putting out to the best of my ability, and how can I like not get it to the audience that I think it deserves? Right. So had. How did you? Uh, and yeah, I mean, like even just to put out that next podcast or that next blog post, how, yeah, how did you convince yourself to kind of do it anyway? And and then did that audience like just gradually trickle in more and more or was there something that was like suddenly you got noticed or but yeah, what happened? Uh, I learned this from Radek Kosmalski. He would post his goals and that's, that's what I started copying. So uh, from him, I started, as you mentioned, I now post my goals every single year. Also, I just, now I also make a video about it so that like everyone, no, I, I'm I'm terrified then. Like I, I think everyone's watched that video. Now I need to like do that. And I switched from thinking about what's the outcome to like uh, 
I'm going to, when I was doing the podcast, I decided I'll put out two episodes every single week, no matter what, for like an entire year. And I just decided to do that. And I wasn't so much so looking at how many people are watching, although I would like pay some attention to it. And instead, I would just like focus on making the best version of the podcast every single week. Or before that, I was writing blog posts. And uh, I committed to writing one blog post at least every week. And I was just making sure I can write anything best to my ability at that time. So here is a uh, Radex book where, uh, yeah, uh, highly recommended for, um, he, he's had a lot of success and has a lot of great tips. So I thought I'd better just share that since we've both been talking about Radex a little bit. Um, yeah, it's what you describe. You know, which is like just trying to do a better job, you know, to, to get there. It requires a certain amount of kind of like trust in the system that that there is some reasonable relationship between working hard and getting good results, you know, um, which I think is not obvious, you know, like it's not obvious that that's true. Um, and so, and if you don't believe that's true, then it's, it's going to be very rough, you know, um, because it's just going to feel like, well, why, why bother, I guess, you know, um, actually I, I want to share something, which is, um, I, to give a sense that, that it is true. Um, and so I mentioned earlier that I'm close to being a Kaggle Colonel's Grandmaster. Um, here is the last few Kaggle Colonels I've uploaded. And you can see every single one of them has got a gold medal. Um, which is to say, like, I put my all into creating the very best Kaggle Colonel I could. Um, and yeah, it's like, and, and, and each time I have done that, um, people have reacted to that by upvoting and, and liking my Kaggle kernel, you know? And so like, I think like, if that doesn't happen, it's important to self-reflect, you know, same in a competition, a Kaggle competition. Like I like these transparent metrics because you you can't bullshit yourself about them like i mean you can but you shouldn't it's like okay if, if you don't get likes on your kaggle kernel you should assume because it's because you didn't do a good enough job you know you didn't explain it well enough or you didn't make it compelling enough or it wasn't a particularly good approach you know if you sucked in the private leaderboard you shouldn't assume you just were unlucky but that that you know this is an opportunity for you to learn how to to do better. Uh, so, sorry to disagree a bit, but initially there's like always this uh, period of suck where things wouldn't just pick up, it, at least on Kaggle also, when you're just putting out stuff or kernels, I think it, it takes a while for people to start voting it. So I, I would also like get- Well, that's true. Disheartened. They do have to notice you. Not in competitions, yeah. you know, <laughs> not in competitions. Yeah. I mean, certainly in podcasts and blogs and things, it's it's very different. It's like, trickles up very very slowly like people often ask me how to get more twitter followers and i'm just like just tweet <laughs> like just 
you know, and to try to make good ones. Like I started with zero followers and then one and then two, and, you know, um, and it always goes very, very slowly. Um, I'll share this one thing from uh, my, so this, this is titled as my first Kaggle competition experience. And on the leaderboard, as I you like mentioned, like, name. <laughs> <laughs> there's a story behind it. We were so naive. We were trying to uh, rename stuff and my teammate ended up cleaning up my entire laptop with that command. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. So th- this is how the first competition felt like. I was looking at the Kaggle Grandmasters and it was like, they're, they're on a supercar. I'm running barefoot and it's a hundred mile sprint. I can't keep up with them. I would submit to the leaderboard, uh, sleep. Some, and as I wake up, I would have fallen down 50 positions. I would come back, try it again. Exactly. Keep doing that every day. And like I, I finished in the top 20%, I think, which also Fantastic. was like super awesome to me. Fantastic. And again, that's like, tenacity right like most people aren't going to keep coming back and in my experience the people who do come back make it you know like it's i feel like this is the number one difference between those who succeed and those who who don't um but yeah coming back to your point about like for example getting people to upvote your kernels um or, or to watch your podcasts i guess what we're saying is Having extremely good content is a necessary but not sufficient condition for success. So you do need to make sure that you're telling people about your Kaggle kernels or about your blog posts or about your podcast episodes. But if you get people to look and they're not extremely good, they're not going to come back and look again. One thing I... And, uh... To, to credit, uh, the blog started through Rachel's advice. I would just read it uh, every week at least once and I would sincerely follow her advice on uh, how to get started on blogging. It's an amazing blog post that she's written. That's how I got started there and I would just transfer my learnings to the podcast also. But the podcast was like super bad in quality during the initial weeks, but at the time that was the best I could do. And one thing I've learned is I try not to spam too much with like, sharing it over and over again. So every time I've done a podcast, I've only shared it once with the world. And I, if I reshare it, it's because it's so relevant. I say, hey, please listen to this. This is where I discuss this. But I'm also like extremely sincere about not spamming the community. Although like I do spam with my tea puns and tea jokes just for the sake of branding. But I try not to spam too much with like any stuff I'm building. So this is uh, Rachel's blog post, which I- I've heard what you just said, I've heard it from so many people <clears throat> that they this is what got them blogging. And you know what um, a lot of folks might not realize is Rachel, you know, she's she's a math PhD. She's an academic. Um, it, the, the idea of putting yourself out there like that is an absolute anathema to her academic training. You know, and and you know, in the academic community, which I'm also in nowadays, yeah, it's um, it's almost looked it's it is it's looked down upon, you know, of like communicating in a clear way that the rest of the world can understand, which is it's it's such a shame, you know, and so it does require a pretty conscious decision, I think, particularly if you're at university, to be prepared to be different, um, because. The people teaching you and supervising you 
have probably never written a blog post in their life and they probably have no idea what it really is and they're trying to get you to write the most obtuse academic jargony prose in extremely exclusive PDF only academic papers. <laughs> you know? So um so tell me more about like um creating educational content in general. What what's the kind of educational content that you're finding is really gelling with people that people are telling you thank you so much for creating that that made a difference to me i'm still surprised when people say that to me i'm like i'm just creating this for my own self i just follow rachel's advice which is uh, to create something that i wish was there and that's how i started the podcast also i was talking to so many incredible people on fast day uh, tuatini who used to take the course he taught me how to get started in freelancing and i i would always shamelessly ask question i would always start with an apology hey sorry this is going to be a super stupid question but i want to ask this to you <laughs> that's that's and i would like just shamelessly approach people ask these questions that's how the podcast also got started so i'm just trying to fill the gaps that i think uh, exist we have all I mean, something i learned something i learned in my 20s is yeah that um which you've obviously already discovered is that those embarrassingly stupid questions are the questions that lots and lots of people want to ask but they assume everybody already knows and so they end up never getting <laughs> asked and everybody's like uh we really don't know so you know speaking personally when somebody asks me those questions i'm always very grateful because i'm always like ah that's a that's a good point i had you know like particularly if you're an expert on something you don't really think to mention it until somebody asks you the question Yeah I I've been super blessed that people have been so nice and they always share their knowledge like they've shared it privately with me and also like now on the podcast they've been sharing it so I'm I'm super lucky in that way Have there been things that have surprised you either that have been very popular that you didn't expect or some things that you thought like oh this is going to be big and they didn't really go anywhere Uh Honestly I I started with the arrogance of like a uh, 20 year old hey people will listen to this I know this is awesome everyone should listen to this this will be the number one data science podcast in next year no one listened to it and then I realized as, as I got a bit more mature uh, that it's super hard to get people to click on an hour long video on YouTube alongside with mm. everything else that exists mm. on there especially stuff that's like super technical super knowledge heavy now I feel super grateful that people thousands of people listen to the podcast they click download they click on youtube so now now yeah, now i, I think, feel like yeah and i think people are like i think it's underappreciated how much people do want that kind of content like you know you look at something like lex friedman's podcast and it's not flashy you know like it's it's well produced in that lex spends time on like he has high quality equipment and he sets it up carefully and he does it in person but you know his actual interviews is just like him asking questions generally fairly brief questions to somebody who's generally highly technical listening to the whole answer rinse and repeat for one and a half hours and it's you know lots of people do actually end up tuning in because they you know not everybody but there are people out there who want high quality not dumbed down content 
I I remember watching his uh inter- your interview on his podcast and I thought no way you you're going say uh, you you'll say yes to me and when when I said I want to fill the missing gaps that's what I meant that I I whenever I do a podcast for your case I listen to every single interview every single AMA you've done and then I would ask the questions that weren't discussed there so just try to bring those things out and not always start with the repetitive questions that many people do that's uh, a great same- actually that's a great point um because lex does that too you know and um i don't do many interviews at all like i i did one with lucas you know who runs weights and biases i did one with lex i mean hardly anything else like and in both cases lex and lucas like just had done their homework so well and so the questions they asked were genuinely interesting and so do the kinds of people who are interested in my thoughts in Korea it's going to be interesting to them because it's just it's not just like oh who are you what do you do it's like oh I'll do this thing called fast ai and you know anybody who knows me doesn't want to hear more about just like what's fast ai they know what's fast ai so you know what you're describing it's how everybody should do it but hardly anybody does you know <laughs> um and you know probably a lot better for you as well right because in the process of doing that research you're going to learn about stuff i personally feel maybe it's because of my culture and upbringing it's also insultive to the other person to ask like very basic questions like if if i interview you and ask hey jeremy can you please introduce yourself i won't do that that's that's my job i should be asking oh. the interesting questions to you and uh, to I anyone that ins- i i think it's insulting in our culture too but people still do it <laughs> so but anyway good on you i mean something i do want to ask about um which i definitely remember is the excitement that you shared about having the opportunity to interview for um for a residency at Google and uh and I think I think you know the community was excited for you as well because it's like wow you know good stuff sanyam this is going to be great and then it didn't happen you know tell us a bit about that like what did it feel like like how did you get that offer you know to, to interview for for Google what did you do to prepare you know what did it feel like to fail at that you know at that journey and and how did you you know push on from there and what did you do with that experience i was crying at 2am when i got the email that i had okay. been rejected yeah <laughs> so, and my and i, uh, I used I, the word fail very intentionally right because that that's what it that's what it is and that's what it feels like and it's like okay i've worked this i i failed you know and that's like you know it's let's not use bullshit work words about whatever yeah. it's like when we fail how do you yeah how does it feel how do you get up so you i bet you were crying middle of the night probably felt like that's it right you tried so hard to get here it didn't work you're not good enough is that kind of the feeling you're having in your head uh yeah and the the point i was like getting to was also that i was again so distant to my peers i remember telling my friends hey i interviewed at google ai residency and they feel me and they just say cool okay you'll you'll get it next time like they, they couldn't yeah. appreciate how big of a thing yeah, it was hard. yeah and that's that's why 
I'm really grateful to Fastai community when I share that hey I'd failed and uh, I've done bad for the community because I couldn't get through everyone was like super supportive mm. that instantly got me to getting back and in, in fact that's how I started the podcast I decided okay now I'm 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 going to help the community to at least get to the point of interviewing and hopefully Fantastic. someone gets through Fantastic so you know that's I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of genuinely important outcomes. But I mean, how how did you get there in the first place? You know, like like you say, you come from a community where nobody even knows what you're doing, let alone gives a shit about it. How did you find yourself flying to America to Google? I just uh, I found this courage through applying through Fastly. I didn't expect to get into the course even, and since then I've just uh, find found the courage constantly to shamelessly apply, shamelessly ask for help. So just. uh stepping out of my comfort zone i am i'm very inherently shy i've been shy all my life but now mm-hmm. I, on the internet i'm i'm less shy and i just apply to every position even in my undergrad i would start applying to positions that i knew were clearly out of my league and my goal was to just get to the interviewer and ask them hey how do i like actually get through this interview and i, I never got a clear response at that time but I just got uh, to the extent where I could comfortably apply to things I didn't expect to go through. Right. And every time you do that, you know, there's a chance you'll fail, right? And so, but if you don't apply, then you always fail. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I I'm the same. I'm I am I am introverted and shy and I remember telling my friend Chris Latner that a few months ago and he was just like sorry. That's like <laughs> I the am same, the same like that can't be true. It's like here's all the things you do. It's like I know and they're all terrifying. And after it I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I do it anyway. Um yeah, it, it you know, you have to you have to put do it anyway, don't you? You know, because otherwise you'll always fail because you never give yourself the chance to succeed. Yeah, and just just staying at it i think at agreeing to the fact that initially i of course at that time didn't believe that i i can't get a job just because i was so arrogant in my head hey i'm ahead of my classmates of course i should get a job and india is a big country it's very populated there's there's a huge amount of competition here mm. so i of course wouldn't get the jobs and i would continue in my arrogance somewhat in my tenacity to continue talking to people continue applying left and right yeah So okay, so um, so you started the podcast, um, and um, you know what what happened? What was the next commercial opportunity you got, and how did you how did you make that happen? I I started it inspired by you, where I decided not to monetize it, which wasn't the best decision because I was investing my money and not getting any returns. My parents were definitely upset. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, but I, I I didn't mean it in that way. So initially, I I, uh, I started the podcast, and uh, then someone at H two O H two O AI, it's an awesome company, shared my oh, podcast internally. They were like. this guy is interviewing everyone i want to interview people at our company but he's interviewing them before i do wow. <laughs> that made the ceo uh, reach out to me the ceo of h2o decided i want to hire this guy and then right. i got it to do as part of my day job so and he's another indian guy right if i remember correctly yes yeah cool so 
insanely that's how the dots connected and uh, th- through any job i've had this is i think the fourth stint in my career it's always been through the fast a community directly or indirectly i feel um yeah no i mean that's that's actually amazingly kind of direct it's like your personal branding i mean not that unusual though you know your personal branding efforts was the thing that made people not only know who you are but you know that you're doing something that's so good like that's literally what they were wanting to do themselves um that's amazing um okay i have reached the end of my questions uh did you have anything either that we haven't covered you'd like to cover or is there anything that you would like to ask me before we wrap up the inaugural coffee time data science uh, episode i would ask you for advice what do you as my as my guru and my teacher what do you expect me to do next what do you want me to do next that'll that'll make you happy oh no i i never have opinions you know i try to like i try to kind of say like here's how you can move in a direction that you want to head you know like that don't have any sense of like what direction should anybody head um i mean hopefully in a direction that's at least not destructive to society and that you've got the tools and thought processes in place to think about how to to help society but like you're i mean you're doing exactly what i would have thought makes perfect sense which is to surround yourself with not just good people but people who who appreciate you and value you for who you are and what you do um you know and particularly you know in a in a in a geography where that isn't going to happen just by virtue of the people who happen to live down the street you know um you know the only thing i kind of tell people of around your age is you could you could consider changing your geography at least for a year or two like for me personally um one of the few regrets i have in my life is that i didn't do that you know i um growing up in melbourne uh, very different to india but but in some ways you know it, it's got some similarities and it, it's a long way away from you know at least kind of culturally and in and in australia's case geographically from anything like the kind of stuff that i was interested in and nobody in my life cared about anything that i was interested in and um uh, that made me feel like uh there was something wrong with me you know like like i was weird and that was a problem and and you know people would sometimes fairly directly give me that feedback you know that sounds uh, very similar to my experience also uh yeah so going to san francisco to me like there's a lot of of things i don't love about the us in general and san francisco in particular but it was such a confidence building exercise to be surrounded by people who were interested in what i did and did try to do similar things themselves and um and to also realize that the people that i admired and looked up to were not on some other level of existence they went on some other plane but they would you know they made mistakes and had setbacks and redoubled their efforts and just normal people you know and so i kind of thought like okay i'm yeah they're just other people like me and i can um 
do interesting things like they're doing. And like I'd always wanted to do interesting things like they were doing, I guess. Um, so that'd be the one thing like to consider. And I'd say like a couple of years in a invigorating culture full of people that respect the kind of work you do can be of, can be a value it's not possible for everybody you know and honestly it wasn't really possible for me for most of my life so it's not really a regret in that it wasn't something that i had access to um or something i wish i had access to um and it's definitely not needed like you can totally do it all as you you've shown online um but it's yeah it's something to consider if it's if it's if it's an option Thank you. No, now, now I've gotten to the stage where it's somewhat possible. Uh, I'll try to explore that option. But, uh, but before we wrap up, I also want to really thank you for all the knowledge you've been sharing with the community. Your your interview will always be pinned on my channel. This is the 150th uh, episode on the podcast, but I'm, I'll always be grateful to you and the community. All of, all of my small achievements are through Fast AI. So thank, thank you so much it's... for it's actually the first episode of Coffee Time Data Science, but I know what you mean. We'll we'll let you we'll let you uh, keep it as the hundred and fiftieth. <laughs> You're more than welcome, and you know, thank you because I mean, you've um, given back so much to the community. So um, I know so many people are grateful to you. So thank you. They've been too kind. Just just to add one more thing, I I know I've I have a lot to learn still. I've gone off on this tangent of creating content and I feel like an imposter that is only a discussions grandmaster is only a competition expert and that knowledge needs to transfer somehow so I know I have a lot to learn still and uh, the imposter syndrome is taking over but I'll wow you're still young <laughs> you'll get there thank you mate have a great day thank you so much Jeremy. bye <laughs>